In February 1971, a young FBI agent who had just been transferred to bureau headquarters gets a message he wasn't expecting. The director wants to see him. The director, of course, is J. Edgar Hoover, a man who ruled the FBI with an iron fist for decades. The young agent walks into his office with deep trepidation. Hoover sits him down across from his polished desk, and he talks stream of consciousness for nearly three hours about the FBI's war against the mafia, about his relationship with John F. Kennedy and his brother Bobby Kennedy. But most of all, he talks about a man who was his personal nemesis, Martin Luther King Jr., the slain civil rights leader. Hoover opens up about King, about why he disliked him, and why the FBI secretly wiretapped him. Hoover said some startling things that day, providing rare insights into one of the most epic feuds in modern American history. And this week, as the country commemorates the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr., that once young FBI agent who spoke to Hoover, Oliver Buck Rebell, is with us now on today's episode of Buried Treasure. I'm Michael Isikoff, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Yahoo News. And I'm Dan Clydman, Editor-in-Chief of Yahoo News. Uh, you know, Dan, uh, it's a rare treat for, I think, both of us who are both sort of uh, uh, love to immerse ourselves in the history of the FBI to have with us Oliver Buck Ravel, uh, who was uh, an FBI agent for 30 years had an amazing career, rose to the uh, rank of associate deputy director, uh, and uh, was involved in some of the uh, most momentous uh, cases of his era and wrote a great book about it, a G-Man's Journal. But he's also one of the few uh, around, still around, who can talk about the days of J. Edgar Hoover and Martin Luther King. And I got to say, Buck... uh, it was really uh, eye-opening for me to um, to learn about your encounter with J. Edgar Hoover uh, at Bureau headquarters just when you get transferred to Washington back in 1971. Can you set the scene for us and how you came to meet J. Edgar Hoover? I had uh, been in Philadelphia as a supervisor uh, for right at three years when uh, I got noticed that I was being transferred to the organized crime section in headquarters and went to Washington and had just checked in with the organized crime section, which was at that time in what was called the Special Investigative Division. And I had a, a, a phone message on my desk uh, that Helen Gandy had called and uh, asked me to call her. And who is Helen Gandy? Helen Gandy was Hoover's longtime secretary and very, very influential in the FBI. Um, I called her and uh, she said, Mr. Hoover, would like to see you uh, first thing in the morning. And I said, yes, ma'am, I'll be there. And it, it, I just thought it would be a go up, welcome aboard, do a good job, shake your hand and go back to work. So when I went in, I was uh, unprepared for a lengthy discussion. But uh, he sat me down and it started and he talked at a mile a minute. At, at this point, uh, Hoover had been – sorry to interrupt you, but he had been FBI director for close to four, more, like 47 years, right? Because he was in there for yeah. about 48 years, and he must have been how old? Like I guess he was probably 75, 76, uh-huh, something like that. Uh-huh. So I went in, and uh, he sat me down, and he first started talking about I was a Marine and what I thought about the Marine Corps and about the FBI training as opposed to Marine Corps training and – Etc. And then he asked me a, a, a pertinent question. He said, uh, 
that he was thinking about uh, sending FBI agents through the Marine uh, training at Quantico. Uh, what did I think about it? And I said, well, you better be prepared to lose a lot of your agents because uh, uh, even though there was a good physical fitness requirement uh, for the agent position, it certainly didn't match up to that required for the Marine Corps. So we got off talking about that. And then there had been a series of, uh, of burglaries of FBI offices uh, in which materials had been uh, taken uh, relating to particularly the uh, anti-war movement and so forth. Right, outside of Philadelphia, if I recall yeah, correctly, right. right? That's correct. One of the uh, the resident agency just, uh, mm -hmm. just outside town. And uh, there had been one of the agents there uh, had retained a lot of, uh, material that was just informational material, but uh, was sensitive. And uh, the burglars got that. And the next thing you know, that it starts popping up in papers across the country. And that resulted in an a inspection uh, headed by Mark Felt, who was the uh, Uber's uh, hatchet man. Deep throat. And, and, yeah, yeah, well, late, that, that was later. But in any case, uh, Uber started asking me about that and the reaction in the, the field and what concerns of the agents and uh, what was going on as far as the population was concerned and so forth. And uh, so I had a few things to say about that and particularly what was going on on the college campuses, which is sort of uh, like it is today, only worse. And um, then uh, he brought up, uh, I forget why, but um, he brought up uh, his handling of the Martin Luther King matter. And it started out uh, with his saying, well, you know that uh, President Kennedy ordered that and the written order came from Bobby Kennedy. Now, you're talking about the wiretapping of Martin Luther King. Right. Was that publicly known at the time? No, no, uh -uh, it was not. In fact, I don't think that came out until the church and pike committees uh, later. So, so Hoover is telling you that the FBI had wiretapped Martin Luther King. Um, yeah, I think he, what he said was uh, that uh, the the uh, attorney general, on behalf of the president, had ordered the surveillance of Martin Luther King, including wiretap. What's your, what was your reaction when he told you this? I was totally surprised. I uh, I one I didn't think uh, uh, that the uh, the FBI was engaged in wiretapping in that uh, arena. I knew we were doing a lot of wiretapping in the organized crime part of the bureau, but that was uh, under the Title III warrants, and I didn't uh, realize that we were doing any domestic surveillance, literally, at the time. Uh, that was kept so tight and so secret that even though I had been a supervisor in a major field office, uh, I knew they had an open case, but I didn't know that they were engaged in that type of activity. Buck, do you do you remember do you remember being uh, troubled at the time, or what was? I mean, you're you're a young young agent. Um, what was? Your I, I was thought process. I was concerned because it, it seemed to me that uh, it was putting the bureau uh, in a circumstance where it could it look between what was going on in the campuses and the anti-war movement and so forth that, that we really didn't need to have controversy over another uh, activity uh, that was ongoing. But uh, he explained to me, and uh, I later checked it out that. The reason for it was because we had a source inside the bureau uh, uh, that was actually meeting with the Politburo in Moscow and that uh, were bringing money back and it was funding 
funding from the uh, CPUSA was going to to uh, Hoover's organization. That would be the American Communist Party. Yes. Uh, so that totally surprised me that uh, you know they had any funding going to to uh, to King. Um, and Sanitas told me about you know going to uh, to see the president about certain issues and and that uh, he had uh, briefed the the president uh, on what was happening and uh, he sent memos to uh, Robert Kennedy because he never went to see Robert Kennedy of his own volition <laughs> he didn't like Robert he liked the president uh, and um, you know he conveyed uh, that he uh, had great disdain for. Uh, Robert Kennedy, who he thought was just a, a young uh, uh, whippersnapper. But he also really didn't like Martin Luther King. Actually, I don't think it was so much that he was, uh, he didn't express the kind, he, he, King had called him, had, had said that the FBI was not providing protection to the civil rights workers. Uh, Hoover had had uh, Deke DeLoach uh, reach out to, to King and tell him, the FBI is investigating, but it has no jurisdiction or responsibility to provide protection. That's not its its authority. And uh, then, then uh, King went on to make statements that, that, you know, the Bureau wasn't providing protection again. And so Hoover got ticked off that uh, King didn't understand the proper role of the FBI. You, uh, you write in your book as uh, d- describing this scene, as Hoover spoke, it crossed my mind that perhaps the director was jealous of the esteem the public had for King. But such an I explanation that, would seem so petty for a man of Hoover's stature. I yeah, distinctly recall thinking that Hoover just doesn't realize that King is much more than just his name. He represents uh, a, a movement uh, ongoing uh, amongst pr- particularly blacks, but minorities in the United States. And uh, I, I felt like that it showed that King, that uh, Hoover was somewhat out of touch with the reality of the world as it was at that time. And, and you also, uh, you also say in the book that, that you thought that Hoover kind of fundamentally didn't understand the role that King was pl- playing in our society at that time. You said that King had long transcended his time and place and had become a symbol for the nonviolent integration of the races, and that's something that uh, that you admired, but that you think Hoover just didn't get. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, I, I certainly wasn't in a position to convince him of that, although I, I did point out that I had investigated certain uh, civil rights cases, and, you know, there, there was certainly a, a lot of work to be done in that area. Uh, but um, uh, I just didn't feel Hoover didn't express himself as having any vehement uh, dislike, but that this, uh, that King just didn't understand the role of the bureau, and he was in criticizing the bureau. We, he was harming it and carrying out its mission. Well, let me ask you this: uh, so there was uh, evidence that King had people who were close to him, uh, who were at the very least um, close to the uh, Communist Party in the United States, um, if not. Uh, the Kremlin, um, and you know, you talked about uh, the Soviets uh, funding uh, and and penetrating the civil rights uh, movement in some ways. But in retrospect, looking back in time after all these years, uh, would you say that today that you believe King represented any kind of uh, real threat to national security? No, I, I don't think that uh, that ever was going to come to place. Uh, the um, you know, obviously. 
just like we're going through now with what Russia is doing, the, the attempt by the Soviets to, to in any way direct or to uh, focus the civil rights movement in the United States was a legitimate area of concern uh, and, and appropriate national security uh, activities. But uh, certainly, in my view, at that time, King had not reached the point where he was going to be able to to would uh, attempt to lead a black uprising or any sort of, of uh, violent outbreak. And in fact, his uh, his preachings and his activities were uh, counter to any sort of violent protest. Well, but King King had uh, Hoover had called King the most notorious liar in America. Uh, mm-hmm. You you wrote in the book how he uh, believed King to be a false savior to the Negroes. Um, it does seem like there was quite a bit of personal animus there. Well, there was another factor that added to that. Uh, through the wiretaps and surveillance, uh, they uh, had found out that uh, King led a double life, and his public face was not consistent with his private face. And for Hoover, that seemed to be almost as much of a problem as the fact that King had misrepresented the the uh, roles and responsibilities of the bureau. So in that, fa- that added to his animosity. In fact, uh, you quote Hoover uh, in your book as saying that King hid behind the mantle of being a minister while conducting himself as an alley cat, which, yeah, is, I remember, which is quite colorful. I remember that very vividly. <laughs> so. so what was going through your mind when you're sitting there listening to J. Edgar Hoover telling you all this? <laughs> I, I probably said, oh, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I had been a Marine uh, pilot, uh, aviator for five years. I had been in the Bureau by that time, uh, almost six years, and I had seen a lot of things and, and investigated a lot of really nasty cases. But uh, at the national level, to hear some of these comments uh, was quite astounding to me. And probably the most astounding thing was that here I was, a you know, a young agent, and uh, he was just laying it all out for me, uh, totally... Uh, spontaneously. And why do you think he did so? I think he got lonely at times in that damn office. <laughs> I, I think that uh, he sort of saw me as a, you know, as a former Marine kindred spirit. Uh, my uh, forte had been violent uh, crime and organized crime. And so there were a lot of cases he was aware of that I've been involved in. And I just think he probably felt I was a kindred spirit that he could talk to. And of course, he did 99% of the talking. I did 1%. <laughs> did you get the sense that he was, there was stuff he wanted to get off his chest, or he just wanted to make no, his case? That, no, I think he was just more lonely. Yeah. That he just, here was somebody that he could be comfortable talking to and would know what he was talking about and was, you know, there was no threat uh, to him of any leaks or anything. So he could just talk about things that were, crossing his mind at the time. And of course, when you when you left his office, it wasn't too long thereafter that, I mean, word was spreading through the building that you had just spent three hours with the director. Yeah, I, in fact, it, well, I didn't even get out of the director's suite. Uh, there was Inspector uh, Beaver, I won't forget that name. That was Inspector Cl- Be- <laughs> Yeah, that was Clyde, uh, but, Clyde Tolson's assistant, right? Yeah, right. Who was the number uh, two. Wanted to talk to me. And I went in, and the entire uh, 
meeting was just debriefing on what Mr. Hoover had said. <laughs> right, right. I got to say, uh, we are uh, this week uh, commemorating uh, the anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King, which took place th- uh, three years before, nearly three years before your encounter with J. Edgar Hoover. And one of the things that strikes me when I uh, look back on the FBI's investigation into the Martin Luther King assassination is um, for all of Hoover's animus towards King, it actually was a quite vigorous, extensive investigation um, that caught the guy who did it um, with some very skillful law enforcement work. Uh, You were involved in that investigation that ultimately led to the arrest of uh, James Earl Ray. Yes, uh, I was on the street, uh, street agent in Philadelphia, and then was actually made supervisor. And I had that uh, particular uh, classification on my desk. Uh, So I saw the communications that came in and, you know, uh, obviously assigned the the leads that took place anywhere in the Philadelphia territory. And it was a bureau special. And by that, it was you handle it within the hour and you get it done and you get the information back. And certainly, as far as my experience, uh, a King lead was handled that day, and I wanted to see the results on my desk before I went home. Uh, you so, mean Hoover wanted to see the results on his no, desk? No, when I had a lead in Philadelphia, right. I wanted to be back in headquarters, uh, you know, not only within the 24 hours, but uh, as soon as we could possibly get it there, because there was tremendous pressure within the Bureau uh, to solve that case. And I think part of it was because of the fact that, uh, you know, not only Hoover recognized that it, it, it was going to reflect on the Bureau if they didn't, but also the agents in the field generally believed it was a good way to essentially try and balance the scales about uh, what had happened during the investigation of King. Do you, do you think that Hoover himself um, felt he needed to do pull out all the stops uh, in that investigation because of some of the controversy that surrounded the FBI and its investigations into uh, Martin Luther King? Well, he didn't express that to me, but from the way things were handled, I would think that would be a reasonable assumption. And, and, you, and you said that you thought that that was the view of a lot of the, the street agents, uh, that, that there was a need to, as you put it, balance the scales. That, that was a sentiment that you heard at the time. Yes, and... and uh, you know, nobody complained about having to go out and do the work on the King assassination. They were all uh, ready and eager to go out and get it done. Uh, you know, of course, there's been uh, conspiracy theories over the years that uh, have implicated uh, the FBI in the um, in the King assassination. Um, I'm sure you're you've studied those conspiracy theories and have got some perspective on them. Well, you know, I, it, it makes no difference what happens. Uh, there's going to be a conspiracy theory, and if there's any law enforcement entity involved, then it's going to be, well, the FBI had a piece of it. And, you know, I, I uh, if there's a serious challenge, I take it seriously. But frankly, if you tried to follow all the conspiracy theories, you'd never get through anything because uh, the majority of them are total nonsense. And in the King case, it was total nonsense. Buck, do you have any reflections on 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 King himself uh, uh, in this week, fifty years after his assassination, when we're kind of commemorating that that event? 
I think he was a remarkable man, uh, and he certainly knew that he was drawing the attention of a violent element of our society to him personally. Uh, and as his speeches indicated, he, he knew what was coming. Uh, and yet he, he continued to do what he did. And in spite of his having, you know, some other issues, I think the man was remarkably brave and was uh, uh, absolutely essential to the moving forward in our civil rights uh, and hopefully healing the, uh, the wounds in our society. Former Director Comey famously had uh, uh, agents in training uh, at Quantico uh, make a field trip to the Martin Luther King Memorial and, right. uh, and study the inscriptions uh, on, the, on the memorial wall uh, a long way from uh, where things were when J. Edgar Hoover uh, was director. Um, is that, uh, was that the right call by Comey? Is that uh, a good thing that FBI agents should be studying uh, that era and what Martin Luther King did for African-Americans in the country and um, uh, what some of the FBI's abuses were in investigating him? Well, I think that uh, transparency is extremely important in the Bureau, and certainly that was a chapter uh, that uh, uh, I think the majority of us have regret that it happened. I never was involved or participated in that, and, and frankly, I wouldn't have. Uh, but... Um, you know, the, the ones that did, uh, I don't know what their motivation was. Uh, as I said uh, initially, I think it was a legitimate national security inquiry. Uh, but getting down into the, those kind of dirty tricks that you were talking about, to me, that's just below uh, contempt for, for anybody in the Bureau to be involved in that. And so I think it's important for people to realize uh, in the Bureau that uh, you know, there are limits and there are consequences, and you need to be aware of both. Um, very apt words uh, to wrap up this discussion. Buck Revell, thanks for joining us um, and discussing your eyewitness to uh, a pretty fascinating moment in American history. Yeah, thank you. Enjoyed talking with you. Our thanks to Buck Ravel for joining us on a special edition of Buried Treasure this week. Check out the rest of Yahoo News' coverage of the King assassination 50 years later at yahoo.com. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And also tell us what you think about Skullduggery. Leave us a review. We'll be back on Friday with another new episode.